Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, at the beginning of his letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 9 through to 11, the Apostle Paul writes, It is my prayer that you, members of the congregation in Philippi, may grow in love, knowledge, and discernment, so that you may approve of this excellence, might discern what is best to see clearly the difference between right and wrong. It's my prayer that you may grow in love. And of course, brothers and sisters, not, not just outwardly, of course that as well, but more importantly, to grow in love, if you do so, one needs an inward change, a change of heart. A change in the way we think about things. After all, brothers and sisters, it's our thoughts that shape the way we speak and the way we live. Let me try to make that clear with an example. When someone commits a sin, in most cases, it's an expression of something that already for a long time lived in his mind. Think of King Saul. After David had killed Goliath, the crowds were singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his seven thousands. Now when Saul hears this, jealousy starts to brew in his mind. It's not before long that he tried to kill David. And why was that? It was a sword that already for a long time lived in his mind. It started with jealousy, then hatred and anger followed. And finally, if Saul had had it his way, he would have killed David. In James 1, verse 14 and 15, it reads, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings, leads to death. Now we see this already in paradise, when Eve ate from the tree. First she has a look at the tree, and then starts in her mind that that's a nice tree. Maybe what the devil said is right. It's such a nice tree, nicer than all the others. Maybe if I eat from it, I will become like God, knowing right and wrong. She considered that in her mind first before she ate. And that's why it reads in Proverbs 4, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So from all this, brothers and sisters, we learn to live to the glory of God in holiness and uprightness. First, we must make sure that we live God-focused also in our minds. That's why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove that what is good and acceptable and perfect in the sight of God. So we need a ninth renewal. And that's what Paul also speaks about in Romans 8. If for a moment you turn with me to Romans 8, then you can read these verses. Romans 8, verse 5 through to 8. <coughs> Where it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
but also live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. They haven't. So, Paul speaks about those who live according to the flesh, but we have been redeemed by Christ. And then Paul says it has consequences for the way we now should also think. Because we belong to Christ, we should no longer be carnally minded, that is, no longer have the things of this world foremost in our minds. Instead, godly minds should be different. Our nature has changed. We are no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. Consequently, we ought to think about godly things. Setting our mind on the things that are above. Of course, we can only do so by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. But that does not undo our own responsibility. It's indeed true the Spirit has, make, has to make us active, transforming our mind. But now the question. Are we willing to be transformed? Do you rejoice in that? Or are you still flirting with the world at times? Think of Lot's wife. She kept looking back. And why was that? In her heart, in her mind, she had not really cut the ties with Sodom and Gomorrah. Think of the wife of Lot. That, that often crosses my mind. How much are we still attached to this world? And God says, go out of it. Would you look back? But still good here, isn't it? Think of Lot's wife. And so that brings me to the main question which I would like to address in this morning's sermon. What are the things we fill our mind with? For there's where it starts. And that's a very relevant question, especially when looking at today's society. Satan is busy out there to attract our attention. And in doing so, Satan is working foremost on our sinful desires. And he can so easily be fulfilled. When you quickly flip through all, through all the TV channels, look what's on. Just see what's on. But sometimes you stop because you are attracted by something sinful. Or when browsing the internet, or find all kinds of pictures on our smartphone, we basically should not watch. I think also of the worldly advertising, which tries to make us believe that we can have it all. A life that satisfy our sinful desires against which we too have to fight. Let's not think that we are immune for that. The scripture calls us to live holy lives. But we can only do so, brothers and sisters, when we fill our minds with holy thoughts. And that's why I chose the text for this morning's sermon. In which the Apostle Paul does not simply say, stop thinking bad thoughts, that drag you away in your Christian life. No, more positively, fill your mind with good thoughts. The battle of the mind is to have a mind that is pure, honorable before God. How do we do this? The very simple answer is to live close to Scripture, making time for reading our Bible, and then also meditating on it. 
time for and with the Lord. Not only at the, at the dinner table where we have a meal as a family, but also personally. It's a bare minimum. Try to make half an hour a day free for this. Reading, studying God's word. And then maybe not from your tablet or smartphone so that you can be still be interrupted or distracted. Instead, as Christ said, go to the inner room. No gadgets, alone with the Lord. Alone with the word of God. Blessed is that man, we read in Psalm 1. Blessed is that woman who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Whatever he does, shall prosper. And so hence the question of self-examination. For all of us this morning. What are the things we fill our mind with? In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, the Apostle Paul says we must bring all our thoughts, all our thoughts, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Only then we are able to live truly Christian lives. It starts in the mind. But then Paul says also in our text that you have to put it into action. We must take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, but then not let them stay there. It's only thoughts. But now you have to put these thoughts also into practice, and if you do so, says Paul, the God of peace will be with you. Godly lives need the nourishment of godly minds. First of all, what makes a godly mind? Secondly, how does this lead to a godly life? And third, the fruit of such a godly mind. And life. So, first of all, what makes a godly mind? Paul's letter to the Philippians, brothers and sisters, is a letter full with the theme of joy. Throughout this small letter, the word joy is mentioned no less than 16 times. And it's quite remarkable when you think about the fact that Paul wrote this letter from prison. How could the Apostle write such a joyful letter in such, dreadful, such a dreadful situation? How could he remain joyful? Now the answer to that question you find in the verses preceding our text and the verses following our text. First, the verses preceding our text. Paul says there is no need to be anxious. There is no need to be anxious when you lay your life in God's hands and then with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, you give it all to God. Assured in faith, God will provide. Trust that Father is in control. And if Father is in control, why should I worry? That's what he writes in the preceding verses. And then after our text, he says, I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances were, in which God placed me, be it full or, full or hungry, abounding or suffering in needs, content. You know what content means, brothers and sisters? You simply live out of Father's hand in the way we also pray. Give us daily our daily bread. Not for tomorrow, but today. Whatever the circumstances are, fully trust in God that he will provide with whatever we are in need of. And then also trusting that that will be sufficient to do our task in the service of the Lord. Paul says, when in prayer you bring your life before God's throne, 
then you will find peace. True inward rest. After all, remember the Lord is near. Christ, Christ is coming soon. Do we live in that awareness? Christ is coming soon. Now, in that hour, all the things we are so concerned about today, at times even grumble about, all that will disappear when Christ returns. And therefore, Philippians, so Paul says, stop doing it, doing it. Don't give yourself over to doubt, to fear, to anger, to bitterness, for it's sin. Rather, think about the purpose of your life. Live Christ-focused. Early on in his letter, Paul had written about Christ, how he as the Son of God humbled himself, left the heavenly glory and took the form of a servant. Christ had been obedient even to death on the cross. And that for us sinners, as called children, we should think more about that. Marveling at the miracle of this, that God was loved us so much, that he gave up his only son, and not only the father, but the, the son was willing to go, to humble himself that way. Amazing grace. Are you still amazed? Are we on a daily basis still standing in awe? On a daily basis. Not only on Sunday when you hear the gospel, but on a daily basis. Are we still standing in awe of that great miracle that Christ wants to give his life for us sinners? And don't look at others now and say, well, he or she should think a bit more about that. No, Christ gave his life for me. Truly, Lord, for me, a sinner, how often do you on a daily basis think of that, beloved? And that's at the heart of the text chosen for this morning. Paul wants the Philippians to straighten out their, think their thinking so that they can live as thankful children of God. To straighten out their thinking so that they can live as Christians. But to live as Christians, we need the Christian mindset. Meditating on the things that really matter in life. The word meditate, meditate for eight brothers and basically means make your mind constantly think about these things. Get control of your thinking. Think of truth. Think of foundations. Think about the things that don't change. Think about the things that God said, these are true. Let that be the framework of your thinking with respect to all of life. Somewhere I read, thinking Christianly is not a matter of thinking about Christian subjects opposed to secular subjects. No, thinking Christianly is thinking about everything in a Christian way. Having a Christian mind. The world offers angers. Worry, anger, arguing, quarreling. Just to get it your way. People are on edge. And that's why there's so much aggression, so much crime. Now, how are we to oppose this? First of all, by thinking differently than the world thinks. Firmly believing that God's commandments are indeed wholesome for life. By way of, by way of example, think of merits. A wonderful institution created by God. Merits causes life to flourish. And we see it around us when that institution 
institution gets changed in a worldly way, same-sex marriage and all these other things, it ruins the foundation of society. When people set their mind on what they want, it always goes wrong. Paradise already says that. And scripture teaches that, that in many ways. And again, it all starts in the mind. The heart that gives way to man's sinful desires. Sinful desires that live at times as in our hearts. Hence, Paul says, make sure that you have the right mindset. After all, God looks further than just that nice friend. God looks at what lives in your heart, in your mind. As God's children, we must live Christ-focused, also in our minds. But that doesn't happen automatically, brothers and sisters. Even though God's Spirit came to dwell in us, and has given us a new heart, despite all this, sin often plays up each day again. In this life, it reads in the in the Kellers of Door, chapter 5, in this life, though freed from dominion and slavery of sin, we have not yet been delivered completely from the flesh and the body of sin. Hence, we are not immune to all these temptations either, by which Satan tries to lure us away from God. These, temps- these temptations are real, and they make life a hard battle. If anyone says this morning, I have never any trouble with that battle, he lies. Because this is what scripture says. It's a battle. Paul writes about it in Romans 7. We often do the things we hate. Often is that not the case in our life. Now to fight these temptations is not good just to stop thinking about bad thoughts that drag us down in our Christian life. No, we must fill our mind with good thoughts. The battle of the mind is to have a mind that's pure, honorable before God. And you have to learn that, says Paul. And that's why he writes in verse 8, that first verse of our text, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Whatever. We know that word. It's often used as in our circles. For example, when mom says, Johnny, clean the rubbish bin out, the response might be, do I really have to do it now? And the mom says, didn't you hear me? And then Johnny's final response is, whatever. Adding frustration. But actually, it's rebellion. Rebellion against God who has given him parents whom children have to obey in the Lord, for that is right. Whatever. You understand that this is not the whatever used by our text. When Paul says whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, and so on, Paul means something totally different. The whatever in verse 8, do not lead us in rebellion away from God, but instead back to God. Every single one of these virtues mentioned in this verse. Now, before starting on these virtues one by one, first I would like to mention something else. For when you look at them, brothers and sisters, they're quite general, so to speak. Even an unbelieving person could agree with that. And may think, yeah, it's good to think about that. 
And it's not strange, considering that these general virtues belong to man being created in the image of God, but then due to the fall into sin. These virtues have been stained and often turned into their opposite by people who do not honor God. Now, as children of God, we are not to think about these virtues just in a general way, as unbelievers perhaps would do as well. We have to think about them in faith. And that out of love and thankfulness towards God, we are called to do this since in Christ, God has given us these virtues back in their most beautiful form. And that is the aim that we may practice them as well. So which are these virtues? First Paul says, we should meditate on what things are true. As opposed to deceptiveness and lying. To make this more practical, this means not just agreeing that lying is sin, but in a more positive way, opposing all lying and deceit. We are to fill our minds with what is true. Showing that we have been transformed by the unconditional, undeserved love of the Son of God who died for us on the cross and who testified about himself. I am the truth. Somewhere I read, meditating on what everything that true means, when you rise in the morning, when you go to the breakfast table, when you go to school or work, busy at home or in the family, make yourself think about the things from the perspective of God. Don't just walk blindly through this world, reacting thoughtlessly to whatever happens. Instead, daily remember, even though the people around you may laugh about it, daily remember whatever God has revealed to us in Jesus Christ is true all the time. No matter where you are, no matter what's happening to you. When in this way we start thinking about the truth, the fruit will be that more and more we also start living the truth. Next, Paul mentions whatever things are noble as opposed to shameful, inferior. Whatever is honorable. Whatever brings honor to God in my life. Whatever brings glory to his great and wonderful name. Meditate on this, says Paul. Next, he mentions whatever things are true. Righteous as opposed to unjust, unrighteous. But everything's are just in the eyes of God. Think about this. When you go to work in the morning, how shall I live rightly before God today? Is that a thought that might cross your mind in the morning? Think about this. When you truly have this mindset at the beginning of each day, God will guide you. He will protect you. So easily we forget about this. Hence, we should make our minds continually think about this. That's why it is so good also to read scripture before you do anything else in the morning. Open God's word to get direction, to get your mind filled with God's word and then go to work. And pray the Lord that it may stay there throughout the day. Beloved, when we are indeed totally convinced, convinced in our minds, if so, then God's law will never become a burden to us. But instead, a joy to do God's will. But it starts in the mind, whatever is right, whatever God approves of, whatever God has given us to live by. Continue make your mind think about these things, not just in the morning, but take that with you throughout the day. Wherever you go, walk 
according to what Moses says, well, instructing the children, he says, when you rise in the morning, when you walk by the way, when you go to bed at night, what does God think is right? Next, Paul continues, whatever things are pure, as opposed to impure. Again, what do we fill our mind with? For that will have a reflection on the way we live. Let me just try to make that clear with a practical example. Say at work, be it at the office or at the work site, someone you work with tells you a dirty joke. You realize, well, that went basically a bit too far. And so you make some soft noises, but at the same time you can't escape just laughing about it. Beloved, if your mind is busy with pure things, when you have a pure mindset, you will act differently. By making a clear, sound, edifying comment expressed in love. See, it starts in the mind. If your mind is also busy with the same things there was a dirty joke about it, then you will not do so. But if your mind is pure, then it says, this, this, I don't want to hear this. Why do you say that? An upbuilding comment expressed in love. The Apostle John, in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 3, says, Everyone who has this hope, you'll sing that also later on in the service, who, everyone who has this hope, that one day we will be like Christ, that Christ will transform us to a perfect life. If that is our hope, then John says, who has this hope in Christ, purifies himself as Christ is pure. Unfortunately, in today's society, the idea of purity is rapidly disappearing. Not many young people today are still pure virgins when they get married. And let us not fool ourselves. That's not only happening outside in the world. It happens also in the church. What's pure? Make your, think, make your mind think about these things. Make your mind think about how God wants you to live pure, holy before him. Pure not only with respect to sexual matters, but regarding all of life, emotionally, spiritually. Next you read, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And in all these virtues, the common denominator is, this is how the Lord wants us to live, to make our life beautiful before him, so that he may receive the glory and praise through us. And that will come about, brothers and sisters, if you set your mind on the things that are pleasing to God. So concluding the first point of the sermon, the final question is, as I started this morning, what do we busy our mind with? If it is indeed our desire to live our lives for and with the Lord, we will also focus our minds on the things that is pleasing to the Lord. On the other hand, if our minds are full of what this world has to offer, be the sport, the world of movie stars, how to earn money, in a nutshell, earthly pleasures and earthly wealth, if that is what our thoughts are continually busy with, it will have its impact on the way we live our lives. Then there will be less and less time to sit down and read God's word and meditate on it. Now for you, the question of self-explanation for me, Tonight, have a cup of coffee, reflecting on the Sunday. What are you talking about? 
the new car you just bought, you put an offer on the house. What are the things? It is not that you can think about it, but what is it what, what, what really fills our minds? But it will also be the things we talk about, the things we are busy with. For if we take this call for mind renewal to heart, brothers and sisters, it will also change the way we live. Then we want to try, as Paul said, to bring every sort of our mind in captivity to the obedience of Christ. Then we are able to live also truly Christian lives. And that brings us to the second point of the sermon. Godly minds should also bring as fruit godly lives. And again, let me try to make that clear with an example. What we learn from the Bible, what we learn through the preaching in the catechism class, is not something we must just think about to gain more wisdom. Now we are called to practice what we have learned. That's how it goes in life. First, so to speak, you learn the theory, but then you must also bring that theory into practice. Now I realize that example fails somewhat when talking about theory, but the truth is we must also live our faith. At the Bible Study Club, we can discuss for ages some kind of dogmatic topic. And we can discuss for ages how it has all gone wrong in the Netherlands. And we can gain a lot of knowledge by reading Calvin's Institutes. But does that also transform into a godly life? Don't talk about others now. We talk about the Netherlands, but how do I live for God? That's more important. I don't think that the other things are not important. But what comes first? How do I live before God? Is my life a godly life and that is fruit of a godly mind? Or does all that study and all that going to church, the catechism class, has no effect in your life? Then there's something drastically wrong. First, you should give proper thought how God wants us to live. But by power of above, we should also bring that into practice. The one flows from the other. Godly lives as fruit of godly minds. The two go together. So to speak, they cross-fertilize each other. That could be the end of the second point. But note what Paul says. He does not say, Philippians, now you must also practice these virtues. Instead, appealing to his Apostolic example, he says, do what you have learned from me, heard and saw in me. The apostle appeals to his preaching and the example of his own life, as he did in chapter 3, verse 17, where we started the scripture reading this morning. Brethren, join in following my example. Isn't that not arrogant? If I would say this morning to you, Join in following my example. Is that not arrogant? Putting himself as an example. Paul was too, a weak servant of Christ. He was far from perfect. How can he then say, just do what you have heard and seen in me? But the point is this. What had the Philippians seen and heard from Paul? They had heard and seen that Paul never boasted of himself. Instead of all the weaknesses involved, his life reflected total commitment to Christ. 
Paul had not only taught, but also shown by example what it means to live by grace alone. The Philippians could see in Paul's life what it means when Christ becomes the Lord of your life. It produced life renewal in kindness and joy. In other words, when Paul says, do what you heard and saw in me, he actually says, commit your life to Christ. Do that totally. If you do so, the God of peace will be with you. The last point of the sermon. In verse 7, the Apostle Paul also spoke about the peace of God. There he wrote, when by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you lay your weak lives in God's almighty hand, there is no longer any need to worry about tomorrow. As God's children and trusting ourselves to God, we may live from the assurance Father will provide. And then he says in verse 7 of chapter 4, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In the concluding part of our text, Paul mentions that peace again. But it's different to verse 7. In verse 7, Paul says, the peace of God will be with you. In verse 9, he says, God himself will be with you as the source of that wonderful peace. Yes, beloved, well, whoever in joyful obedience lives close to the Lord will indeed experience that the Lord is near every day, every night, granting us peace. True inward peace. Yet the opposite is also true. If you walk through the day, basically without thinking about God, only bringing back God in your mind when at the dinner table you read from the Bible and pray, if that is the way you live, it's unlikely that throughout the day you will have a sensible experience of God's peace. That's the warning, including our text. When you continue busy your mind, focusing on the things of this world, it will cause you a lot of unrest. The wicked have no peace, Scripture says. And it also applies to God's children who live sometimes a wicked way of life. But on the other hand, when by power from above, after all, there's nothing of ourselves, we are weak. Yet when by power from above, we live our lives with the Lord, and because also our mind to dwell on these things, godly lives needs the nourishment of godly minds. If we do so, God's peace, surpassing all understanding, will fill our lives even stronger. God himself will be near to us to guide and protect us by that wonderful peace. What a wonderful promise that is, beloved. A promise given to those who transformed by the renewing of their mind, think of all things of the perspective of truth. To them God says, the God of peace, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's walking with God, as once Enoch did. Well, Enoch in that terrible time, and there's a time like today, a society totally corrupts, but he prophesied because he had mindsets of Christ on him, the mindset of God. Let's have that mindset. Live then also godly lives, and God himself will be near to you every day, 
every night.